It's the BNS in 20 Minutes or Less podcast. Your daily download of X929's X Mornings with Beckler and Shauna. It's Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. I'm Beckler. I'm Shauna. I didn't realize yesterday's podcast was 38 minutes long. Oh my. So... We'll just get right into her here. That's a lengthy one. <laughs> this is your out of context clip of the show. The BNS and 20 Minutes or Less podcast. You know what term I, I don't really like? Hmm. The, the term weekend warrior. Okay. So I'm part of a few ski forums and camping pages and that kind of thing. And everybody on these forums seems to look down upon the weekend warrior. Like, if you're a ski fanatic who only skis on the weekend, you're not a real skier, is basically how they look at it, right? Like as, if, a, as a weekend warrior, do you feel personally attacked by these? I feel a little bit personally <laughs> attacked, for sure. Like, if you, because for them, if you don't ski during the week, which is, of course, the best time to ski because it's far less busy, then you're not a real skier. Well, yeah, but some people have to work. Well, this is the problem. <laughs> like, like, to them, if you don't sacrifice your entire life and essentially live in a van, right, that then travels from ski resort to ski resort, you're you're only a weekend warrior. And uh, if you only go on the weekends, then you're not a real skier. Not a real skier. Not a real right? skier. Same goes for travelers. There's sometimes this mentality that comes with travelers. We're like, oh, you only like, you travel on weekends? Well, if you don't give up your entire job and go traveling for months, if not years of your life, then you're not a real traveler. Oh, you have a family and a right? career and possessions? Yeah. Weekend warrior. You're not serious about and that's, it. That's it. <laughs> and when you think about the actual term weekend warrior, it sounds awesome. Like a warrior is a, a, a an amazing thing. Yeah, right? you go Being hard all week so that you can go out and go hard on the weekend and then go right back. Like, yeah. Yeah. But it seems to have developed this really negative connotation in all these forums. And I'm just like, what is... Like, you can't fault people for having <laughs> families and jobs and responsibilities. Like, Weekend it's, it's warriors, a bit strange. You mean most people? Yeah. <laughs> most people? Oh, you have a job? Well, ooh. Oh, what? <laughs> you have a job and a family? What a loser. What a... What, a, what an absolute loser. What You're not are on the you ski hill every day, you loser. Yeah, well, no. you know what? I don't live in a van that smells of feet full time, okay? So who's loser. the loser? BNS in 20 minutes or less. So last week when my truck died... I got a message from a friend of the show, Juliana, and she said, can I ask where truck started? She said, it's the only way I say it now, and it's making people uncomfortable, but I can't stop. And she didn't know where it came from. And it's the fact that, yeah, you always say truck instead of truck. It's yeah. not a truck. It's a truck. Tr- and it comes from, well, this. I need a new truck. If it wasn't for truck. I got a new truck. And that old truck picked him up in my truck. Make a new old truck. I'm about a truck. I got a truck. We rode in truck. I drive a truck. Oh, for truck. Songs about trucks. In the cab of my truck. Dandy old truck up. Pick up truck. I love my truck. Me and this truck. Bow this truck. Buy me a truck. Pull up my truck. It's amazing. I hope you enjoyed that because that took me. <laughs> So long. That's about as hard as I've ever worked on anything. I've got to be honest with you. Some of those trucks were normally said, though. There was the odd normal truck. The odd truck, normal truck, the but a lot of them are the trucks. The overwhelming yeah. majority of them dropped the, the last part of I, it. i, I got to be honest to, with you, though. Like, the, There's a lot of funny pronunciations and other words, too. Like When you were preparing this, I was like... It's just there's a weird accent that sometimes these country artists add into their songs, but they really punch it with truck. Especially the Canadian ones. Those truck. ones really crack me where up. You're like, where is that? That's at? not how we say it nope. around here. Mm-mm. Except for now, we say truck. Now we do. So, 
Yeah, that just Vicious I had to cycle. comb. I had to comb through so much country music last night and yeah. pull the tricks out of all the, the songs that I could. Most of those songs are from the last few years too. So Something we are in the, the golden age of tricks music. Yeah. Um, well, we'll hang on to this, and maybe we can bring it back during Stampede or during Trucktober. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I oh, the Trucks. Trucktober. Trucks. All the Trucks. I like when their voices kind of like waver a bit. Yeah. They almost have a vocal fry going on with their truck. That's what I keep. Trucks. The ones that really trail off. Yeah. Much amazing. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, I can rest now. The BNS and 20 Minutes or Less podcast. I stumbled across this headline yesterday. Even vacuum cleaner snobs call this device a wizard in picking up crumbs. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Vacuum cleaner snobs. They're a thing, apparently. I mean... I, you got a, a new vacuum recently, right? Yes, I bought a Dyson Stick vacuum. Oh, yeah, and you're pretty passionate about that. And thing. I'm a bit of a vacuum snob, Shauna. I know we were debating at Christmas. My parents were like, get a shark. You can get it from Costco. Yep. They work just as good. They're like half the price. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, no, I think we're going to go all the way and get the Dyson. Right. And I don't, you're a vacuum snob. I regret nothing. <laughs> and I'll talk to anybody about it who wants to talk. Okay. When we were moving, one of, the, one of the movers was like, oh, those are pretty nice vacuums, hey? And I was like, ooh, big mistake, bud. Now you're in for it, yeah. Because I'm going to tell you about it. It's like my dad; he doesn't. He's not a big talker. Hates talking on the phone. But if you get him talking about something he's passionate about, then he won't shut up. That's you're like, whoa, this is okay. We found the thing. Is so, it vacuums? Uh, it's not vacuums. No? no, no. For him, it's pool these days. But right, yeah, yeah. Uh, but vacuum snobs. <laughs> vacuum cleaner snobs. Oh, it's half the price of a Dyson. Well, I suppose if you're okay with your floors being only half clean. <laughs> <laughs> The suction on my vacuum is so powerful it sucks one of the fillings right out of my mouth. (laughs) You know, they call it a dirt devil because your house will still be devilishly dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my vacuum is capable of sucking up dirt, dust, and sad feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, some of us refuse to skimp when it comes to the help of our families. (laughs) Well, my vacuum comes with armored protection. Keep your limbs in inside the ride at all times because if it gets a hold of an arm, it's gone. (laughs) 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 The BNS and 20 Minutes or Less podcast. On Monday's show, you were talking about the TV trope of like an assassin snapping someone's neck with their hands and killing them that way. Yeah. And then what was the movie where someone did it to a deer? The Long Kiss Goodnight. The female assassin does it to a deer and I saw that. I was like, whoa pretty intense and we're like that doesn't happen in real life but then i remembered a story from my friend who did see someone snap a deer's neck with his bare hands this is my friend mike he's on the phone right now and where did this happen mike we're going down blackfoot northbound as you go down the hill approaching the train tracks Mm -hmm. so we weren't in a good place for this to happen but we see two deers attempting across the road it's pretty dark outside um and then yeah one of the deers just decided to make a run for it um end up getting smoked by the car in front of us flipped over that car and landed right in front of my my wife and i so we're like all right this is nice um (laughs) the deer is clearly suffering uh it wasn't a very nice thing to see no um and there's cars flying by us because we're right at the top of the hill so people don't see us pulled over or anything um and i'm assuming this deer because he's still kind of walking around 
and I thought the deer was going to end up getting hit by another car. But instead, a pickup truck just pulls over right beside us. A big farmer-looking dude gets out, and he puts on these big, like, gardening gloves and looks over at everybody pulled over, and he's like, you guys are going to want to look away. And I end up not looking away. Um, but he just walks up to the deer, grabs its neck, and snaps it. And just puts the deer out of its suffering. And I'm like, holy smokes, do you just do this every day? I was about to say, is this just what he does? He just travels the highways and he's like, oh, I've got another deer to snap. Like, oh my God. Yeah, I thought that he was just going to grab the deer and throw it in the back of his truck after that. Like, oh, free free deer jerky. (laughs) Holy crap. And did did the deer die instantly then? Yes. Oh my God! This How man knew what he was, he was doing. doing? Is he, he an assassin? What is yeah. he like? The deer hunter. Oh my God! And he had the gloves. He just had some gardening gloves, just ready to go. He's like, <laughs> let me put my deer killers these on are my here. Kill- deer killing gloves. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Just wash these yeah, off after, was, uh, and on to the next. Oh my God! Well, and he didn't stick around long. Mm. He 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 did his business, and then he was just like, yeah, all right. Have a good day, and then he hopped in his truck and left. And I'm like, "Oh, are you are you running late for a family event or something?" <laughs> like, and as you approach them, it's like, "Oh, I just had to pull over and take care of some oh some business." <laughs> you know what though? I mean, as disturbing as it was, guy took care of business, didn't he? He did. He did. Oh my! I hope that he has an extra deer. pair of clothing or something in the car too. Rather just oh, he's got some deer blood <laughs> on me. Deer oh. death all over this. Oh my! VNS in twenty minutes or less. You know, we've talked about a lot of unique rock and roll instruments, like the rock and roll saxophone, for example, and Mm -hmm. all the songs that include that, or the rock and roll xylophone, all Mm -hmm. kinds of unique instruments and rock songs. But uh, I was listening to a song by 30 Seconds to Mars recently, this one right here. This is how it starts anyway. And as I heard this, and then of course it gets into the Kings and Queens, which is a great song, just really quickly here. been a long time since i've heard that song but when it's a great i heard workout song oh super uplifting it's almost comically uplifting yeah you're right you're right it is a little bit comically uplifting yeah but the the rock and roll eagle was at the <laughs> beginning of this and i was like hold on a second the rock and roll animals are also a thing that are used in song sometimes okay yeah to enhance it in different ways to add a little bit of something a little something something to the the songs and got thinking about all the different rock and roll and one more just listen to that Oh. Apparently, they actually recorded Rock that sound down. above their workspace. Wow. I don't know if I entirely believe that story. It sounds too perfect. Not to mention that, haven't we talked about how eagles sometimes sound a little bit different than... Well, they said it was a hawk. Okay. That wasn't an eagle. Yeah, because an eagle doesn't sound like that. You're right. But, uh, I mean, unless you go on... That's a movie eagle. A movie eagle. Yeah. That's what they... Because they want them to sound badass. Anyway. There's... I mean, uh, the f- obvious example is the loon at the beginning of... Yes, Weed exactly. Kings. That right there, the rock and but roll loon. Yeah. I guess, like in both of those instances, they're not really part of the song. No, they, they almost kick, kick them it off. off in the same way that some bands might use like a famous movie clip to kick off a song, yeah. or like just a bit of talking. But it's they not feel really like, like it's important. an instrument. No, yeah, you're right. It, it, but it's an important sound that does add to those songs. And like well, yeah, Thirty Seconds to Mars, that song leads up and it has that eagle very distinct, and then a bunch of birds, and they really wanted that build up. So mm-hmm. I still find that that's important to a rock song. What about songs where it's like actually part of the song? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. it's the first one I could think of was. Uh, 
been yeah. caught stealing from Jane's addiction. Again, yeah. So it's in the middle of the song versus at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, uh, Doing Time by Sublime. You can hear their Is that Lou Dog? That's Lou Dog, <laughs> yeah. Which is so funny because that... That dog actually got them kicked off Warp Tour once. Which, really? Yeah, for biting somebody because they oh. used to bring Lou Dog along with them. Look, awkward. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Pink Floyd has a song, and it's generally considered to be one of their worst, uh, where a dog is actually the lead vocalist on the track. There's... I mean... And that's that dog doesn't sound happy. Nope. 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 They actually they did a live performance with the dog too. Um, and Roger Waters is right there with the microphone up to the dog's well, they're, they're mouth, good. which is super funny. That is really funny. Did did he have to do some things to make the <laughs> dog know. bark like that? Like played terribly. Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, Mantra by Tool has a well. It's actually they think Maynard James Keenan's cat. This is the rumor. Uh, they said it could be a dog, but also a cat. They slowed it down though, and that sound. Okay, so it's disguised. Yes. It's heavily disguised. But they're saying it's... Well, and again, who knows with Tool, but they claim that it's Maynard James Keenan's cat that is could making that sound. It could be absolutely anything. Yeah. <laughs> the last track on Tool's most recent album, Fear Inoculum, has a song called Mocking Beat. Mm-hmm. And again, like, calling it a song is kind of loose. It's almost yeah. like noise on the way out of the album, but it's Fair. like, you got a full jungle going on here. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, any others? I, I've got one honorable mention here. Now, this isn't a rock song, but I think this is an animal that's featured perhaps the most prominently in any music. If you got a big, let me search. That elephant sound right there. That is... <laughs> to, for, for the edit? A full-out edit. That's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, right? There it is. What about an instrument mimicking an animal? Um, yeah, Corb see, Lund has, lots of that. Corb but... Lund has a song called Cows Around. Don't know what you're missing until you hear that sound it's supposed to sound like a cow, and then at the end, Corb actually does make cow sounds. And I mean, that's a whole other rock and roll <laughs> instrument. Is the, <laughs> the, the instrument's fake a cow? Sound. Oh Corb's my. a cow. Everyone's a cow. Everybody's a cow. in 20 minutes or less. I was listening to an interview yesterday with Winston Marshall, who was the former banjoist and lead guitarist from Mumford and Sons. Right. Do you remember the circumstances of his departure from the band? Uh, not really. It was weird because he had, he had made this tweet that was praising a controversial book. Right. And then he had to leave the band because of it. And it was it was really it was a fairly tame tweet too and everyone was like you can't play the banjo at Mumford and Sons anymore. And I was like, really? That like that can cost you your job in a band? Yeah. And then after him was like, oh, and he comes from a really wealthy family. And I was like, so so. I feel like there might have been more to that story, though. I remember, yeah, the whole thing seemed a bit bizarre as well. But anyway, well, he apologized, and then he retracted his apology. Oh, okay. Because he didn't feel that he had anything to apologize for. Okay. And I think there was a lot of pressure internally and right. pressure on the band at the time, and. He said he didn't want to distract from it. But anyway, he and the the other person on this podcast were talking about apologies, public apologies, and when you should make them and how you should make them. And I was thinking, like, what's the last what was the last thing you had to really apologize for, Shauna? And I don't mean just like, you know, you bumped into someone, you say sorry, or like you were mm. late and you say sorry. I mean like where you like you thought about it, and you're like, man, I frigged up here. I should probably give an honest apology. Mm. 
tough one. I luckily haven't had to make a whole bunch of super serious apologies. Um, I do remember Father's Day like several years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, my So my parents live in Toronto. My sister lives in Vancouver and I'm in Calgary. So obviously we don't get to see my, my dad in person most Father's Days. We send things to him. And uh, both of us were obviously late on sending things in time. So uh, we, we phoned him, obviously, and wished him a happy Father's Day. But my mom was really upset because she said that he went in the morning to the mailbox and opened it up and there weren't any Father's Day gifts for him. Oh. And I remember the visual of thinking of my dad going to the mailbox without um, he, the gift was just so devastating. And so, then Charlie Brown walking back to Seriously, the... that's what I picture. And oh. it was pouring rain. And <laughs> my mom really painted this picture that made me, my heart just basically wilt. Like He's I was just uh, so sad. And again, like it was, we tried to get it and it should have arrived, but with the mail, sometimes it's longer than the five days they say or whatever. And so it showed up the next day. However, that visual made me like truly uh, apologized so to my dad. and was just like, I am so sorry that it didn't get there in time. So I, were you apologizing for you or on Canada Post's behalf? I was, well, for me, I just felt <laughs> awful that it didn't arrive in time and that he had to walk to the mailbox and got nothing. So that hurt. That was the last time you felt like truly bad about it. Oh, I felt awful. Like yeah. I was devastated. Yeah. Jeez. Anyway. Your mom knows how to how to describe it, hey? That's, she sure, she, you know, she, that didn't help. That really that cuts. Did. I wasn't there and it cuts. Well, it's funny, and it's like, it's not like we forgot. It They both arrived literally the next day. So, I mean, I, at least that helped me, but it didn't matter. She had already painted this picture of Shoot. horror that sucks. in my mind. Anyway, yeah. Um, I was trying to think when last time, I, I, I got to apologize all the time. I screw up a lot. But um, I think the last, like, honest, sincere apology I gave was to my son, Bo. Because I had got we we'd gotten a fight or something, an argument, and I was I got too angry, and then I apologized, and mm-hmm. we both agreed to work on certain things. But uh, well, that's said, awesome. yeah, I'm sorry. I think I don't know if like, some people don't apologize to their kids like that, but uh, if it's seen as a sign of weakness when you're right, the authority you figure, to. but yeah, yeah, and I think it's important to show them that like it is okay to apologize when you've made a mistake. Oh, that's huge. So, yeah, yeah. I sat down with him in his room and I said. I got too angry there. I'm sorry. I got to work on that. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll try not to do that again. So, yeah, that was the last, to a seven-year-old, was the last sincere yeah. apology I gave. Yeah. Yours was to a seven-year-old. Mine was to a 70-year-old. So there you go. <laughs> the BNS and 20 Minutes or Less podcast. Etymology with Shauna. So I got a couple etymology requests over the last few days. Uh, one from Patrick, and he was asking me what up the ante means or where we got that term from. So the term up the ante obviously is from poker, right? Like when you want to increase your bet, you say you're upping the ante. Oh, in I didn't poker. know that. It's And it's A-N-T-E, right? A-N-T-E. Not like, not like your auntie, right? Not like your auntie. <laughs> no, or aunt, it's ant with an E at the end, your yeah. auntie. So yes, it's, it's from poker. Uh, but I realized I, I've played poker and I've said that before and I was like, I don't know where that that term anti even comes from so anti a-n-t-e again not not (laughs) Auntie lana not aunt linda no uh it comes from latin and just literally translates to before so when you think about it it's a bet you make before the cards are turned for example so it makes kind of sense that it would be before so if you're upping the ante it's all about you know prior to the bet itself you're kind of placing okay. risk on. So um, that, I mean, it doesn't make Up a whole lot before? of... before? That's what I was going to say. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you literally put no, that you together now. The Up song the Andy, Andy Up by M.O.P., which is before a Up. 
hype tune. That'll get you cranked. Doesn't make... Before up. Before up. No. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense that way. But anyway, over time, we just kind of say it that way still. So there you go. We also got a message from a friend of the show on Instagram asking where the term somersault comes from, which... That's a weird word. Super weird word. It's not summer like the season. No. It's Mm S-O-M-E-R. And so it comes from the French word, which originally was sobresault, which literally means over jump. So sobra means over and salt or sol in French means to jump. So it literally means to jump over, which kind of makes sense when you think about what a, a somersault is. Uh, but this actually comes from the Spanish word sobresalte, which means to spook or startle. And the Portuguese word of the same name means to spook, scare or jump over. And that's kind of a funny visual when you think of everybody doing somersaults <laughs> to get away from something. <laughs> Every time I <laughs> somersault, not right? There. Not the most efficient method nope. of escape. Nope, just to start continuing on the way like they're just somersaulting their way out we of the gotta, out gotta, of the scare. You gotta get out of here. Okay. Somersault, somersault, somersault. I mean, running would be more efficient, but that's one way of doing it. Etymology with Shauna. The BNS and Twenty Minutes or Less podcast. Wasn't there a big music festival years ago called Somersault? I'm talking about, wasn't there a Canadian music festival called uh, Somersault? I want to say Our Lady Peace was involved with it. I have n- Um, this is... Gonna have to... Have to bring in someone who m- may remember. Hey, Manning! Manning, are you handy? We're just recording the podcast here. Are you... Do you remember a music festival called Somersault? Was it Our Lady Peace's festival? Oh, jeez. This is all going on the podcast, by the way. We're, this is while we try to figure this out. This is kind of before my time, but... Okay, because there was Edge Fest, right? Yes. And Edge Fest was with 102.1 The Edge in Toronto, right? Yeah. And, and did that traveling. one tour around? It did. Okay, and I feel like Somersault toured around, too. And I want to say Our Lady Peace had something to do with it. Right now, there's going to be people listening who are just like... Ah, you idiots. Like like I've been looking into it, though, and I can't see anything about it. So what the hell happened? There was also a festival I remember one year in Saskatoon, and I was too young to go. Um, It was called Deviate. I don't know if that was a traveling one or if that was... But they trucked in a bunch of snow, and they had jumps for snowboarders, like right by the river in the summertime. That reminds me of the coolest concert venue in Toronto that used to exist, and it was called Sound Academy, and it had both a concert venue, but right outside of it was a snowboard park. So you bring uh, your snowboard to the concert, and you can go and rip around outside and stuff before and after or during, even if you'd like to. That's and cool. Then go and watch the show. It was pretty awesome. It's all very, very 90s, very rad. Totally <laughs> rad, man. Somersault was a Canadian music festival organized by the band Our Lady Peace in 1998 and again in 2000. Look at that. Okay, so I wasn't making that up. No, and it's such a 90s Canadian lineup. We've got Hayden, <laughs> I Mother Earth, Moist, the Gandharvas, Fuel, Sloan. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that wow. was the 98 lineup, and then you had Foo Fighters, Perfect Surf World, so it obviously got bigger in 2000. Do you think there were some wallet chains and eyebrow piercings at that thing? Oh, and tons <laughs> of vans, but definitely, yeah, tons of wallet chains. Shoes sure. thrown at the stage, yep. which someone told me was big in the 90s for a while. It was big to throw your shoes on stage and then go collect them after. Well, I guess shoe culture wasn't so expensive back then, so maybe <laughs> it was just a little bit cheaper to throw your shoes at the stage. <laughs> Nice research, producer Fraser Manning. Thank you. The BNS and 20 Minutes or Less podcast. Yesterday during What Did You Learn Today, I mentioned that NASA has announced they're going to start shutting down the Voyager space probes. Yeah. Start turning off some of their instruments. 
in order to extend their lifespan just a little further. Like they're hoping to still be able to communicate with them up until about 2030. Yeah. And to do that requires shutting down some of the systems. So their mission is kind of coming to an end now. And I mean, these two little guys were absolute troopers. They were originally designed to last four years. That was their mission length to go to Jupiter and Saturn. Right. And that was 44, 45 years ago. Yeah. So they have outlasted their mission life expectancy by about a factor of 10. It's crazy. Yeah. And they have sent back some of the, like some of just the most like breathtaking photos we've ever seen of the outer planets in the solar system, like Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, just incredible photos that are still like are still awesome. Yeah. Um, they're the furthest man-made objects from earth by a lot. Okay, I know where you're going with this, and you're basically, you're, you're just, you're writing everything, you're, you're saying everything that's in the eulogy, oh. so. Well, I was going to ask for one of your finest eulogies, Shauna, because well, I think these two guys deserve it. But. I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge space nerd like you are, so I'm, I'll try my best, but yes, it, they deserve a some, send-off. Some so. flowery language, for sure. Okay. I, was thinking, I don't know what I'm going to be more sad about. Like, when Opportunity made its last transmission with Earth from mm. Mars, that was really sad, because yeah. it got like lost in a dust storm, and it was like, it's going dark. It was very sad. This will be sad, too. Okay. Because these guys have been going for so long. But right. if you could, Shauna, yeah, for a sure. few words about the Voyager spacecraft. Yeah. We are gathered here today to remember the Voyager spacecrafts. Voyager 1 and 2, who served us for over four decades. Probes were launched in 77, and they've been traveling through deep space ever since. They're truly the probes that just won't die. Only meant to be in service for four years, it's now been 44 uh, according to Ralph McNutt, a NASA physicist with a great name, they've served <laughs> 10 times their warranty. They've showed us the active volcanoes on Jupiter's moon, the details of Saturn's rings. They then explored Neptune and Uranus in ways that we'd never thought possible. They, they're a resilient couple probes and we're going to miss you and your adventurous spirits. Beckler. Now they're just going to continue off into cold space forever, which is pretty cool in itself. But It's a bit eerie, really. Very eerie. A bit spooky. Becca, do you have a musical tribute for I us? I do. Okay, great. Uh, I chose Starlight by Muse because, right. of course, the subject matter, and also it's sense. just really, really high, which I like. So. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's going to hurt our ears, so everybody brace yourselves. Oh! Yeah, there it is. I think I started too high there. Yeah. It's like I'm yeah. out of my own range, I so think, I, I can bring it. A... I can bring it down a bit, or some can... glass just smashed in the background here. So the BNS and 20 minutes or less podcast. Uptown Great Heritage moment. If you live in an older home, it may have a relic from a past time. A little door next to your front door that at one point was used for milk delivery. Of course, milk delivery used to be extremely common. In fact, most houses in Calgary did have a milk box or a milk door at one time. And the milkman would come by several times a week to drop off fresh milk at this door. The history of milk delivery is a storied one, and it all began as industrialization set in. Prior to this, many people lived on farms and got their milk from their own cows. But as people started to move to cities, they no longer had space for cows, and the milkman became a thing. How this would work? Customers would place their orders with the milkman, and he would deliver the milk the following day. You would leave the money for the milk in your milk box, and the milkman would collect it in your empties as he replaced it with fresh milk. 
Prior to cars, this was done via cart, pulled by either a horse or by the milkman's own strength. As automobiles became more popular, this cart was replaced by a milk truck. This was also back in a time when homes didn't have refrigerators, so milk would come often, as of course it wouldn't keep. As time went on, these boxes became a target for theft, as milk money was often left in them. Not to mention, many of these boxes had one major flaw access to the doorknob inside, meaning people could easily unlock a door. When milk delivery first began, this wasn't an issue as people would often leave their doors unlocked, but as cities grew, this became less than ideal. As vehicles and grocery stores progressed, of course, milk delivery became far less necessary, and eventually it ceased to exist altogether. That being said, it's seeing a bit of a resurgence. With a growing focus on local fresh produce, the idea of fresh dairy delivery is once again seen as desirable, and we may, down the line, just see the return of the milk truck. And those tiny doors that some older hoses still have? Even though now it's often only used as a cat door or a crafty storage place, it could very well be used for its intended purpose once again someday in the near future, holding fresh milk. And while the idea of fooling around with the milkman may once again be possible. This has been a Calgary Heritage Moment. The BNS in 20 Minutes or Less podcast. A Calgary Heritage Moment. If you live in an older home, it may have a relic from a past time, a little door next to your front door that at one point was used for milk delivery. Of course, milk delivery used to be extremely common. In fact, most houses in Calgary did have a milk box or a milk door at one time, and the milkman would come by several times a week to drop off fresh milk at this door. The history of milk delivery is a storied one, and it all began as industrialization set in. Prior to this, many people lived on farms and got their milk from their own cows. But as people started to move to cities, they no longer had space for cows, and the milkman became a thing. How this would work? Customers would place their orders with the milkman, and he would deliver the milk the following day. You would leave the money for the milk in your milk box, and the milkman would collect it in your empties as he replaced it with fresh milk. Prior to cars, this was done via cart, pulled by either a horse or by the milkman's own strength. As automobiles became more popular, this cart was replaced by a milk truck. This was also back in a time when homes didn't have refrigerators, so milk would come often, as of course it wouldn't keep. As time went on, these boxes became a target for theft, as milk money was often left in them. Not to mention, many of these boxes had one major flaw access to the doorknob inside, meaning people could easily unlock a door. When milk delivery first began, this wasn't an issue as people would often leave their doors unlocked, but as cities grew, this became less than ideal. As vehicles and grocery stores progressed, of course, milk delivery became far less necessary, and eventually it ceased to exist altogether. That being said, it's seeing a bit of a resurgence. With a growing focus on local fresh produce, the idea of fresh dairy delivery is once again seen as desirable, and we may, down the line, just see the return of the milk truck. And those tiny doors that some older hoses still have? Even though now it's often only used as a cat door or a crafty storage place, it could very well be used for its intended purpose once again someday in the near future, holding fresh milk. And while the idea of fooling around with the milkman may once again be possible. This has been a Calgary Heritage Moment. You've been listening to the BNS in 20 Minutes or Less podcast. You want more? Then tune in to X Mornings with Beckler and Shauna live on Calgary's Alternative X92.9. Monday through Friday, 6 to 10 a.m. Mountain Time at X92.9.ca. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and have BNS in 20 Minutes or Less downloaded daily to whatever device you use. Later.